This episode of The Luminaries on Deep in the Weeds is proudly supported by Deputy. Rostering and timesheets without the usual chaos. There's no better feeling than the feeling of air of the dining room full and it's buzzing and you just know like there's something about it and you can just feel it and that feeling is just the best feeling in the world i've, I've never found anything that that uh that can recreate it this is the luminaries on the deep in the weeds podcast i'm anthony huckstep sydney and melbourne have long been considered the culinary capitals of australia but the evolution of dining has seen the other capitals blossom in their own right over the last decade or so. Canberra has long been considered a plain place where politicians come to play, but that has changed thanks to a band of savvy young operators. The new wave of Australian dining is no more prevalent anywhere than in the nation's capital, where young operators are not only taking Canberra on a new journey, but a part of the new food conversation in food right across Australia right now. Ross McQuinn is a co-owner of Pilot in Ainsley in the ACT. Ross, how are you? I'm good, Huck. How are you? I'm good. It's good to have you on the show. You've been a part of this incredible new wave of young operators changing the conversation in food. What's it been like doing that in Canberra? Um, I, I suppose I feel a bit self-conscious you saying it like that. Um, we, we I, I just always wanted to do... Uh, things that we thought were cool and we thought were missing and kind of opened a venue that we um, wanted to go to ourselves. But I think doing it in Canberra has been one of the, the kind of greatest experiences ever. I've, I think the community down here is really lovely and, you know, it's just such a tight-knit um supportive community where we can all kind of talk to each other you know i'm on the phone with other restaurateurs five six times a week and um one of my absolute favorite memories was when uh the good food awards in brisbane a couple of years ago we all booked a table together at gerard's bistro so it was kind of it was xo it was aubergine it was pilot um you know temperata morks um rockford came a little bit later but you know it was kind of we're all there together and i think that's kind of a reflection on the tight-knit nature of, of Canberra, which is really, yeah, really lovely to be a part of. There have been great restaurants in Canberra in the past, but there is a, a new wave going on in, in Canberra. What, what was it like in, when you first sort of started? Were there challenges bringing this kind of new way of dining to the capital? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, we, we went through a pretty tough year and a half um very early on there were some some serious challenges you know we weren't busy and the the restaurant wasn't making money in fact it was losing money and we kind of just had to hold on to this idea of um we believed in what we were doing and um yeah it got it got really really dark at some point you know there were times that we were questioning uh, have we made the right choice? You know, should we have opened something that was a little bit more approachable? You know, we love being in the suburbs now, in the suburbs now, but you know, at the time it was, oh God, we don't get any foot traffic. You know, there were, there, yeah, there were some really dark times, but um, yeah, luckily we've kind of made it, made it through. Well, you mentioned you're in the suburbs and you, it really is quite hidden unless you know where those Ainsley shops are. Tell, tell us a bit about the site and the area and why you chose that. 
Um, there's, there's kind of a funny story about that. Uh, we, um, well, I've, I've always loved the Ainsley shops. I really have. I think it's such a, a beautiful area. It's close to the city, but not sort of right in the city. It's actually, someone told me the other day, it's got such history. Someone told me that it was the oldest suburban shops in Canberra. So obviously there was like civic beforehand, but yeah, it's the, um, oldest suburban shops. So there's a lot of history there. Um, People love to tell us that there was a brothel upstairs many years ago when they come in to dine. Um, but no, we um, I actually helped uh, Gus Armstrong, who owns 86. I helped him take on the site uh, in 2017 and he took it on as Pulp Kitchen, which had been there for, for many years. Um, and he sort of tried to modernise Pulp Kitchen. Um, and... I very promptly, about three weeks later after it opened, got fired. Um, but a year after that, he decided that he didn't like op- having two restaurants. So um, Dash, my partner in, in life and business, and Mal, our business partner, were kind of looking for sites at the moment. And I got a very random phone call one morning saying, hey, do you, do you guys want the Pulp site? And so it kind of felt a little bit natural and kind of coming full circle. And, you know, we kind of knew the site as well. Um, so it, it felt like a, a a good entrance into owning a business. Every success has its failures. You just mentioned the site that you have now for Pilot you were fired from. What, what happened? Um, uh, I think opening a new venue is hard for anyone, even, even someone that had done it before um, and as successfully as 86. Um, and there were definitely challenges that – uh, I know that we went through and I think that um, Gus just wanted a, a change, you know, very immediately he just felt that it wasn't, it wasn't quite working, but you know, it's, it's one of those things. There's no, no resentment or no hard feelings because I then know a year and a half later, we were going through almost the exact thing, the same thing, you know, struggling with uh, questioning ourselves, I suppose. You, you had uh, many challenges in that first year and a half, but you've won so many national accolades and had so much recognition in its short history and the impact has been incredible. Uh, Tell us about what the idea of of the restaurant was when you first opened. Um, I suppose when we first opened, we kind of looked at restaurants that we really truly loved and there are, I mean, there are some of them in Canberra, don't, don't get me wrong, but there was this style of dining, kind of dining and service and everything all put together that we felt there wasn't enough representation of in Canberra. And we took a lot of inspiration from venues in Sydney and Melbourne and we kind of looked at that and thought, where do we want to go to eat? And let's try and amalgamate all of our experience and all of our kind of desires and all of our things that we think make a restaurant great and let's try and try and do that um you know i'd I'd be lying if i said that we weren't you know aiming to be at the pointy end of the spectrum and and kind of you know be as premium as we could um and it sort of just yeah it, it sort of just came out of that um i think funnily enough ironically enough we ended up diluting it a little bit because of a lack of confidence, um, you know, not not having the the strength and the fortitude to kind of go, well, no, this is exactly what we want to do. Um, being first-time restaurateurs and being young and being out in the suburbs. Uh, and then I think funnily enough, COVID actually gave us a really good chance to kind of reset and look at what we truly wanted to do 
and adapt our business model into something that we're now even more proud of. Not that I wasn't proud of the restaurant before, but I'm, I'm even more so now. Well, I want to explore those changes shortly, but take us back to when you were young. Where did the interest in food start for you? Um, I, you know, I, I, I thought you might ask something like this and I was kind of chatting, <laughs> I was chatting to my mother and uh, she will listen to this and she'll hate this. Well, no, she won't because she knows. Um, no one in my family really, except for my uncle, was a, a very accomplished cook. They were all pretty, pretty um, horrible, to be honest. Um, but there was always a sense of community around uh, food. You know, we, we always uh, went to the local Tapanyaki restaurant with my childhood friends for every single birthday. And there was something really lovely about that. You know, we would spend, you know, nights playing board games and having food around, like around the dinner table. And I, I remember vividly actually, uh, even beyond that, not just community. I remember how special I felt the first time I went to a, a nice restaurant and I still remember it. It was, uh, icebergs, uh, when I was about, um, eight, eight years old for one of my dad's business meetings. And I remember the waiter gave me a little bit of gold leaf because I was so stunned, uh, that I was eating gold leaf pudding. Um, and so he, he got a little Tupperware container and he gave me a tiny sheet. And now thinking back on it, you know, it's worth 25 cents or something. But at the time I was, I was so blown away and I felt so special. And it's kind of moments like that, that I, I think inspired that love of, um, that experience and that, that sort of, you know, yeah. Um, because for a long time I didn't, I, I wouldn't have guessed that I was going to end up in hospitality. I, I went to university and I studied commerce and law and kind of was looking at jobs for that, that sort of process. And um, I ended up, uh, I, I hated the grad application process so much that I ended up working full-time at 86 in Braddon. And it was kind of during that year that I realized, wait, I love this. Why wouldn't I keep doing this? Tell us a bit about your hospitality career early on, the, the sort of key moments that sort of changed and changed you. Um, I, I was working in catering while at university, just kind of like a, a standard university gig uh, to sort of make some money and kill some time. And um, I actually remember being introduced to the bar manager at, at uh, Hippo, which is a cocktail bar in Canberra. And um, I got asked why was I wasting my time doing something shit, basically. And um, I kind of didn't really have an answer. So uh, the next day I, I walked into Hippo and I had a job there. And, um, you know, I started to look at bartending and, you know, kind of take that a little bit more seriously and actually work to make drinks. And I met some, some friends who I, I still, you know, some of my closest friends today, which, you know, I'm always grateful for. And, um, it was sort of two years, two to three years of kind of doing that. And then, um, I went into 86 and I was kind of sick of working until five, six in the morning. Uh, and I was chatting to the manager there and they said, well, why don't you work in restaurants? And kind of the penny dropped a little bit. Um, 
And I absolutely adored working at 86. I thought it was a, a great venue. And, you know, this was, this was right after it first opened. And if we're talking about places that kind of changed the culture in Canberra, like I, I truly believe that 86 was a, was a real, really ahead of its time at the time and kind of definitely changed how people looked at food and dining in, in Canberra. Um, you know, even simple things like sitting times, which no one in Canberra had any any uh you know knowledge of and that was that was fun fun sort of trying to break that to them um so yeah i think 86 was where i learned kind of a lot um and after i after i was fired from pulp kitchen i kind of looked to go to sydney or melbourne uh dash um had moved to sydney and was was planning to work at mamafuku and i kind of wanted to follow follow suit and kind of work at it's somewhere that I, I thought was really premium. And, um, but I then got an offer to make gin and vodka, uh, for underground spirits, which was, yeah, which was a lot of fun and kind of, yeah, it was definitely using a different part of my brain. And the other great thing about that was I, it gave me time to focus on opening a new venue. Um, because it was during that period that I, realized and i'd spoken with mel and i'd spoken with dash and i said you know what we we have to do something let's do something and i sort of had a kind of three-year plan and then i think it was about two years after that um we opened pilot and yeah underground spirits was great because i got to make gin in the morning and kind of plan the business at night and it was it was awesome you mentioned your commerce and law degree has, has that come in handy being a restaurateur uh yeah absolutely i think i think one of the things that that works quite well with how we've got everything set up is there is a little bit of separation of powers. Um, you know, I, I think Mal is a, is a very talented chef. And while I've spent time in kitchens and have cooked a little bit commercially, I wouldn't, I would absolutely by no means uh, call myself an accomplished chef. And I, I think that uh, obviously I'm biased, but I think that Dash is just the best restaurant manager that I, I know. Um, I think she's fantastic at that. And it means that I get to kind of focus on the back of house and, you know, we don't have to employ a, uh, a, an accountant every single week. You know, we just go to them for the kind of bigger things or when we're looking to um, expand or, you know, spend on um, assets and, and that sort of stuff. So it's, it's kind of got a really nice separation of powers where we, we've all got strengths and, you know, we kind of all work off that, uh, which I think works pretty well. What's been the key to that sort of back area that you look after? A lot of the thought in hospitality over um, its history is about turnover being king and as many people in as possible rather than margins. What sort of approach have you done in regards to getting on top of the business like that? Um, I mean, I've we've kind of generally taken a, a quite an analytical approach. Um, for example, when we, we opened with an a la carte menu and a we called it at the time a prefix or a set menu um and when we shut down after the the first lockdown in in march 2020 uh because i kept kind of statistics of absolutely everything kind of week on week and month on month you know i, I remember looking at it and working out i can't remember the exact number now but i think it was about 80 83 or 85 percent of our customers were doing the set menu and it just became a no-brainer to go, well, we've always wanted to be a degustation-only restaurant. You know, 85% of our customers are choosing the set menu. Why wouldn't we do that? 
Um, so I think it's, yeah, that kind of back of house thing. I've, I've always taken an approach of keeping a track of everything and keeping records of everything because information is never, it's never a bad thing. You know, we can, you can always use it in some way, shape or other. Um, so kind of having those, having that information at your fingertips is always useful. It also, I think, sorry, sorry. I, I just thought of something else. I think that like, I think that having your eyes on those on everything and on that aspect of your business, it's scary at times, you know, when it's not doing well, but it kind of, it gives me an appreciation and a full understanding for how it's going because I've been a part of businesses where people just sort of give invoices to accountants and don't really have any vague idea on how they're actually going. They kind of just go, oh yeah, we're full. It's fine. But there's so much within that that you can change. You know, you can, you can change your margins, you can change your percentages, you know, you can spread out your tables and charge a little bit more and it can make a world of difference for a, for a business. And if you don't kind of have a full understanding of that, then it can be difficult. This episode of the Luminaries on Deep in the Weeds is proudly supported by Deputy, helping managers and staff do their best work. Hospitality is all about the connection. A business starts with passion but gets bogged down with all the complexities that come with life, society, and rules. If you can simplify this mundane, then people can be happy and they can thrive. And when you have happy staff members and happy managers, your customers will sense it. They'll be happy and you create that connection. That connection is hospitality is about. For more information, go to deputy.com. You mentioned the challenges early on. Do you have any stories of how challenging and how close you came to closing in the early years? Um, I think I think if it was kind of three, three or four more months, uh, we wouldn't like, we wouldn't be here now. Um, we we yeah, we've definitely got some stories. So there were. Uh, I found it really funny because we started to receive some accolades, which is great, and I'm I'm so so thankful and appreciative for. Um, but they always take a little bit of, well, they don't, I mean, they sometimes take a little bit of time to filter in. I remember we got a, a really great gourmet traveler review um, that was wonderful by, by David Matthews. And we, you know, woke up and bought the magazine and I was so stoked and really appreciative. And that night we, we had one table of two booked and we, they ended up, they end up, ended up canceling. And uh, so we blocked off bookings and we, we, cooked up a chicken and we sat there and we ate roast chicken and we drank Roddenbacks, which have now become the symbol of when something's going wrong, wrong at the restaurant. So the night of the night of lockdown, it was more Roddenbacks. And then we had an electrical fire and we had to shut, um, you know, maybe six months ago and there was another round of Roddenbacks. So they've kind of become the symbol of, uh, of things not going well. What was the turning point for, for pilot to, change from those sort of scary early days to becoming a successful restaurant um in all honesty it was it was that kind of first award season um you know we were we, we were really really lucky to be nominated for best new restaurant by both gourmet traveler and good food um you know you you yourself Huck, gave us a really great write-up and there was a there was a national um list in which we did really well and um john left lane put us in the in his hot 50 um 
and they were all really, really great. But it kind of brings up a broad, broader point that it's it felt really bittersweet to me because I was so appreciative and I was so stoked. And these are these publications that I looked up, I've looked up to for my entire career, and you know, always respected. And it was great because we then started to see this business turn around, and we started to to feel that we could actually be onto something, and it was great. But there was a part of me that really hated the fact that it was kind of other people's opinions in this kind of small insular group that really actually defined whether we did well or not. And that really, it kind of felt a little bit weird, honestly. Um, You know, I remember there were customers that came in early on. I actually remember this one specifically. There was one customer that we'd served uh, constantly you know, Dash and I both over our years at 86 and they came in really early on and um, I got a really condescending talking to of, are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? You know, I, I really think you're not doing the right thing and, you know, I'm, I just, you know, I'm concerned about you and we kind of went, oh, like, look, we're, you know, we, we, we believe in this and we really, we're throwing our hats behind it and I'd, I'd rather do this and, fail and do something I'm not proud of and succeed. And I remember we got a phone call saying like how they were just worried and they thought it was pretty bad and et cetera, et cetera. And uh, about a week after we got a good food hat, the same customers came in and had brought some friends and were telling them how, telling their friends how much they've always supported Dash and Ross and how they've loved it. And they knew that they'd be successful. And it kind of crystallized for me that some people are, really guided in their opinions by these sorts of publications. And it, um, it becomes a little bit, you know, it, it becomes a little bit sort of unnerving as a restaurateur to realize how much power uh, these sorts of publications can have on the opinions of people on your business. You mentioned that COVID was an opportunity to reflect and look at the business differently and change what you wanted to offer. Tell us about how much it changed and what sort of impact it had. Uh, well, firstly, we we decided to lean into being as premium as we'd always wanted to be. Um, we had always wanted to do degustation only because that's sort of our favourite style of dining and that's how we feel we can create a restaurant that represents us best because, well, for a number of reasons, you know, you, you waste as little food as possible. Um, you know, you get to control how people order and kind of inward order and you get to control the menu that that flows nicely um you can also decrease the amount of people that are in the restaurant so you can focus on everyone a little bit more um because the head spends naturally higher and covid gave us a chance to do that you know we we took tables out of the dining room and we spread it all out and we switched from an a la carte offering that had a set menu to degustation only and we made it all individually plated as opposed to share plates and we added you know little things like tea at the start of the meal and we we give away petty fours at the end and kind of those those sorts of things so it 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 allowed us to do the restaurant i think secretly we'd always wanted to do um but maybe for a lack of confidence and maybe you know maybe it wouldn't have worked when we first opened and maybe we needed to sort of go through a year of kind of building a little bit of, of um, uh, trust with the, the community. Um, but 
I think now we're doing the restaurant that we always wanted to do, which is great. What sort of impact has this restructuring had on on your margins and also uh, the connections with the staff as well? Um, it's allowed us to employ predominantly permanent staff. Uh, so we, most of our casual staff, we um, gave the offer of converting to permanent part-time so they can have, you know, sick leave and holidays and all of that sort of thing. Um, we were able to employ more full-time staff members, both on the front of house and in the kitchen, um, which I think is great because it gives a little bit of job security and, you know, some consistency there. Um, it's, I mean, like, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to, you know, be, um, I'm not going to try and be uh, embarrassed about this, but it has led to us doing better financially as well. You know, the, the costs are far better controlled um, and we can anticipate what is going to happen in a much, much more uh, definitive way so we can plan it much better. You know, for example, I used to work, walk into the cool room on a, on a Sunday afternoon and uh, when we did a la carte and there'd be hundreds, if not, you know, $1,000 a week worth of stock in there that we weren't able or we weren't going to serve to customers because then we wouldn't open until the Wednesday. Um and it's stuff that we can take home or we can give to staff or we can put in staff meal, which is fine, but it's also money down the drain. And then nowadays I walk into the cool room at the end of the week and there's barely anything there. You know, there's stuff that we want to be there, but there's nothing, no, no wastage, which is, which is fantastic. Long before pilot, you realized that you wanted to create a business with uh, Malcolm and, and Dash Malcolm Hanslow is a, an amazing young cook. Tell us a bit about his food and, and why you felt something would work there. I always felt that Mal had a voice with his cooking. Um, you know, it was never it was never trying to be anything that it was not. It was never confused. It was it was always quite clear and defined. Um, we worked with Mal at um, eighty six. It, it kind of all comes back to that, I suppose. Um, and then Mal, Mal spent a long time in, in Sydney working at some, some brilliant restaurants that are constant inspiration um, for us uh, in uh, Esther, Automata and Oscillate Wildly. Um, and he came down back down to Canberra and, and did a couple of pop-ups, um, one at Bar Rockford and uh, one at Barrio. And um, he helped, uh, he helped uh, myself and, and two friends that uh, we were kind of doing a series of food pop-ups as well uh, during that time and um, kind of focusing on nose-to-tail cooking and Mal sort of helped us out with that for a couple of events. And you always just felt that he, he knew exactly how he wanted to cook and the sort of food that he wanted to cook. There was kind of no confusion and it's, it's a lot of it is such simple ideas and they look so simple on the plate, but I know that there's a lot of work that kind of goes into them. And that's kind of the style of food that I really like anyway. And so when Dash and I originally spoke about doing a restaurant, there was, I mean, there was no question who we were going to ask to be, uh, to kind of, to be a, a chef and it was only a matter of convincing Mal to come back to uh, to Canberra, um, which I am very grateful we managed to do. Pilots uh, had an incredible impact and success so far. What, what sort of impact has um, Pilot had on you personally? Um, I, I mean, everything. Um, it's been a catalyst for growth. It's kind of 
you know, helped me understand how to tackle problems. You know, it's made me grow up a lot, you know, probably a lot quicker than I would have um, if I didn't have it. Um, You know, I, I, I was, I've kind of in the past known to be sort of like hot headed and a, a little bit emotional and kind of when you've, when you've got everything on the line and when you kind of see it potentially going down, you've kind of really got to sort out your emotions pretty quickly um, because the only two options are to get overly emotional and kind of stick your head in the sand and sort of cry about it or get over it and do something about it. And, you know, we um, thankfully chose the latter. Um, you know, I, I, I really hope, like I, I always feel like, I end up learning a lot more than I, um, more than I kind of teach a lot. Um, I, I think it's been something that has been really inspiring because I, I always believe in sort of inspiring in, in surrounding myself with people that are, that are smarter than me because I'm not perfect at everything. And in fact, some would argue I'm not perfect at anything, but I, you know, kind of hopefully can, can surround myself with people that can do a job to a higher standard so that I can learn from them as well. Um, which has been, yeah, it's been great. And has been really great. You, you've been a, an integral part of, of this new wave and evolution of Canberra's dining scene. What, what do you think about it? What, what is it? What do you think that makes it so great? I think it's, I, I think it is the community. I think it's the fact that we, um, you know, most people in Canberra at one stage or another have worked with each other. Um, you know, even if it's for a day or two days and everyone is so supportive and, um, you know, that, that for me is what makes this, this kind of the whole industry truly great. Um, but in terms of from an actual food and service perspective, I think our, our closeness to great produce is, is just such a stunning thing. You know, you drive for 20 minutes in Canberra and you're, you're, in an orchard or you're in uh, well not an orchard but you know you're in a, a small you know lovingly taken care of farm um you know or you know you're in uh, the country with some absolutely great beef and you know we're, we're we're always looking for new ideas and for for new inspirations and i think people are willing to accept that change so for example like danny from from barrio set up a uh um, a company th- about using retired dairy cows, which we kind of haven't haven't really seen in in Canberra, but it was such a great initiative and was able to be done because we're so close to the farm. So he could drive out to um, to Burrower and kind of see all the cows and you know have that conversation with the dairy farmers. So yeah, I think Canberra's a great place. Sorry, I think I, I rambled a little bit on that question, but um, yeah. You've uh, turned uh, Pilot into or into a really profitable, amazing, successful business, even with the challenges of COVID, uh, with a restaurant that Canberra hadn't seen before. Um, what sort of advice would you give to young operators looking to go out on a limb like you have and, and find success? Um, I think that there are two questions that matter and no matter what it kind of distills down to these two questions. Um, and the first one is, are you proud of what you do? And that, that can be anything. It, it depends on your definition of proud. And I think that, that encompasses everything like, you know, giving yourself enough work-life balance and giving your uh, your, uh, your staff a, a place where they want to come to work and, you know, 
giving your customers the sort of service and the sort of food and the sort of experience that they, you want them to experience. And then I think the second question is the simple one, which is, can you afford to keep doing it? And as long as you can answer yes to those two questions, then I think you're on the right track. And that's the most important thing. Everything else is kind of noise. What is it that you love about what you do? Um, it's a, it's a challenge every day. Uh, it's, you know, never the same. And, um, there's always like that kind of nervousness and frustration. And I still get nervous going to service, um, which I kind of like. Um, but there's no better feeling than the feeling of a, of the dining room full and it's buzzing and you just know, like there's something about it and you can just feel it. And that feeling is just the best feeling in the world. I've, I've never found anything that, that, uh, that can recreate it. So yeah, I think that you're kind of chasing that feeling, I suppose, is, is why I really, really love what I do. And, um, I suppose the other thing is, you know, to be a part of this industry and uh, like get to, yeah, I get to kind of be a part of this industry, which I admire and respect so much. And, you know, I've, I've been very lucky to cross paths with people that I've considered inspirations and that's just really cool and really great. And I really love it. Um, you know, there's no, there's no better feeling than going into someone else's restaurant who you respect and kind of getting this great experience. And so trying to do that for other people is just, yeah, the best feeling in the world. Well, you guys are, are bloody amazing at delivering that for, for all of the people that come to Pilot. And we've absolutely loved having you on the Luminaries today to hear your story, Ross. Please keep in touch and uh, we'll catch up again soon. Thanks, Huck. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.